So, here we go. Marty's great sermon. What a memorable talk last week. Revive us again, O Lord. Revive us again. I want to elaborate a little bit on that today. I actually, this whole, this whole sermon is about the last 10 minutes of this talk. So I have a 20-minute introduction followed by the, the, the amazing last 10 minutes, which I'm most excited about. But I'm not going to, I'm also excited about the intro. So just pay, you know, pay attention. So this is Revive Us Again, O Lord, Part 2, Essential Features of a Biblical Revival. And uh, I want to look at the revival at at Thessalonica. And uh, Paul had been at Philippi. We talked about that recently. And, uh, you know, there was an earthquake, and uh, the the jailer got saved, and this union household will be saved, and Lydia, the the kingdom businesswoman got good saved and she, her prayer meeting turned into the church and it was just a wonderful start and that church at Philippi became such a wonderful partner in the gospel with the Apostle Paul over the years. And Well, after that, the Apostle Paul goes on to Thessalonica and I don't know if he what he expected to happen there. There's always some fruit everywhere he goes. Sometimes it's just a few people like in Berea and uh, Athens and later on, but sometimes, you know, all heaven breaks loose, and that's what happened in Thessalonica. There was a three-week revival. It's sort of like uh, the Asbury, Asbury University revival has uh, the wineskin of constant prayer lasted three weeks, and now they're moving to a different wineskin. They're having different places all over the city. Over 50,000 people came to Asbury, um, Asbury uh, University in three weeks' time, mostly from the USA, but some from all over the world. Why? Because there's a hunger. Hunger for God. Not hunger for sensationalism. Not hunger that I was the one that, I'm one of the ones that got to go to the Azubri revival. But more it's like there's a deep, deep calling, deep calling to deep desire in every one of us for, for God. And, and uh, people, people are still drinking deeply from that revival. It's in a different wineskin now. And uh, there's this... Uh, three-week revival that happened in Thessalonica. And when Paul left after three weeks and he went 350 miles south to, to Corinth and preached along the way, uh, when he got to Corinth, he was surprised because everybody there already knew about the, as, well, the <laughs> Thessalonican revival. It just had spread. And maybe some of them even gone there and come back and they were, Gave Paul a good report, but he was thrilled to hear that everybody already knew about it, and it, it, it was starting to spread already. And then that sparked a revival in Corinth, and and you know it, it, the thing just is only takes a spark to get a fire going, doesn't it? So let's let's just uh, do a uh, just a summary from Acts 17 of what happened in Thessalonica when they had passed through. Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, went in and, and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. Uh, he, let this, he let the word do the work. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. Some of the Jews were persuaded He's really happy about that. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So, in the Jewish synagogues, there's all these 
Gentiles present too. And you get an impression that maybe even there, there's maybe even more Gentiles present than Jews. They didn't want to become Jews because the guys didn't want to get circumcised, and you can appreciate that if you're an older guy and there's no anesthesia. And, uh, and, and they didn't want to follow the Jewish, all the Jewish laws and stuff. But man, they, when they preach those uh, Old Testament stories, rang true. They knew, the Gentiles knew, this is the true God. Not the Roman pantheon. This is truth. They were hungry for truth. And when Paul and Silas and Timothy come on the scene and say, the fulfillment of what you've been listening to all these years in the Jewish synagogue, his name is Jesus Christ, and he's alive, and he loves you, and he wants to give you full rights as a Jew without all the other stuff you have to do to become a Jew. So they're all excited, as well as some of the Jews are excited. And, and some of the Jews that were not excited about it, they, they went and told on Paul. And after a while, after three weeks, he got kicked out. He's, and I love I loved the indictment. These people that have turned the world upside down have come here. Well, that's the kind of indictment you want. You ever stand before a court for being a Christian? That's what you want them to say. <laughs> You know, 46 years of marriage, Brenda and I, celebrated our anniversary recently. First time we've ever done a jigsaw puzzle was a few weeks ago, and I learned some lessons about the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, there's a picture of it. We did that, 1,000 pieces. I wanted to do 500, but there's... Brenda ticked a thousand piece puzzle. You know, every puzzle is different, just like every revival is different. Every puzzle is different. Number of pieces, colors, what the picture is you're putting together. But you know, there are some unique uh, features of every puzzle as well. You got to do the edges first, you know, it's on a flat surface. And once you start a puzzle, you got to do more. Once you get a few pieces, you're stirred to want to, you sense a great victory. (laughs) So I'll sit down and I'll do five minutes and I'll get three pieces. Hey, Brenda, I got three pieces. (laughs) I got to stay there a while and see if I can get three more. You know, there's some things about every puzzle that are the same. And even though every revival is different, You read the revivals of the Apostle Paul and the gospel, and you say, hallelujah, what a God of diversity. But then you also note that there's some things that are very similar. And what I want to share over the next, uh, today and next week, and and perhaps even beyond that a bit, we'll see, are some of the common features that are part of every biblical revival and every historic Bible, every historic revival. And to focus on those in a way that will bring edification and blessing and solidity and anchor points for us in the current revival that, that you're going after in your personal journey and the, the journey of your family and journey of your church, your church family. Hope, hope that you're anticipating and expecting more and more revival in your own life and the life of our church, the life of our city.
and Isaac in the life of Nairobi. Yeah. So, six months after Paul had to get out of Dodge, Thessalonica, he writes back to them and he describes something of the revival that's unique about what happened in Thessalonica, and here it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 through 8. I'm going to read it all, and then I'm going to come back and talk about it uh, for a few minutes in my 20-minute introduction before we get to the sermon in the last 10 minutes. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I love it that Paul wasn't the only star, but that there was a team effort. There were three young men on fire, and the synergism and chemistry of their together on fireness spread the revival in Thessalonica. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. In the Holy Spirit, Marty. And in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, you guys remember how on fire we were and what happened? And, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Affliction doesn't stop revival, friends. No matter what government does, no matter what culture does, it's not going to stop revival. No way. With joy of the Holy Spirit... You became examples to all in Macedonia. That's the state of Washington up north. And Achaia, that's Oregon down here, who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. And then the Greek, it says, the word that was, what happened there in Thessalonica, it rang forth. It rang forth. Wow. Not only in Macedonia, not only in Washington, Oregon, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so we do not need to even say anything because to talk about what's going on with you, with with uh, Asbury is just it's just all over the place. Every Christian's talking about it in every nook and cranny, small village and big city everywhere in the USA and beyond. So, in my introduction. The first essential feature of a biblical revival is the positive presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 1 again. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, not up in the state of Washington or up in Macedonia, your primary residence is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all around you. You live in his living, loving presence. He's the one that obsesses you. He's the one that's captivated your heart. He's the one that moves you. He's the one that drives you. You are a true Jesus person. You have a a wonderful, holy addiction to a person. His name is Jesus. And he says, grace to you. And I mentioned to you before that grace means unmerited favor. 
a good acrostic for Greece, for grace is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. Unmerited favor. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you feel unworthy, you're the one that qualifies. Because grace is unmerited favor. If it's merited, it's not grace. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a theological statement. This is a living reality. God is alive and he loves you. God the Father. Jesus is alive and he loves you. And the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned here, but he's the one that makes the Father and the Son revealed to you. He's the one that manifests the Father and the Son to you. It's all his fault that you experienced the Father and the Son. And later on it says you received the word in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the word came to you not just in word but in power and in the Holy Spirit. Your world was shook. Your world was rocked by the Holy Spirit. Many of you know, I've preached this before, that one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, where the Apostle Paul speaks an authoritative blessing over the church at Corinth. And I receive it every day in my own prayer. Most of the time before I wake up in the morning, I say it, not before I wake up, but as soon as I wake up. <laughs> I wish I said it before I wake up. As soon as I wake up in the morning or soon thereafter, I'll say, well, the, the verse is, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Bam! This is a solid, declarative impartation to you and me every time we read it. The grace of the Lord Jesus, his primary motive to us every time we approach him. Grace, bam! The Father, every time we approach him, his primary overwhelming, powerful impartation to us is his infinite love. And the Holy Spirit, every time we turn our attention to the Holy Spirit, whoa, communion to our spirits, fellowship with our spirit, deep calling to deep, spirit to spirit fellowship. Every morning I say, good morning, Jesus. I praise you for your grace to me through the night. I praise you for your grace to me, the unmerited favor coming my way through this day. And I praise you for your grace, your unmerited favor hitting me right now in this very moment. Then I turn to the Father and I say, good morning, Dad. Good, hope you had a good night last night. Trust you did. I praise you for your love to me through the night. Your affection for me over the night and my night watches. I praise you and I thank you for the love that you have for me that will be manifest to me through this day. And I praise you for this very moment where I am receiving the full force of your affection for me as your blood-bought, dearly loved son. And I turn to the Holy Spirit. I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I praise you and I thank you for the the way, the way my spirit had communion with you through the night watches. I praise you that we fellowship through the night watches, spirit to spirit, like Adam walking in the evening with God. 
restored to me by the blood of Jesus. Through the night watches when I'm not even consciously aware of it. My spirit is communion with your spirit. And I praise you for what communion will mean for me during this day. The way you're only primary motive towards me, your first and foremost thought for me, what you want me to understand and and know and live in is I am giving you and serving communing fellowship, koinonia fellowship with you and revealing the Father and the Son to you, Daniel, through your day today. A person could get very interested in this subject. It's quite a moving subject. It's moving reality. Brenda has been a prayer for revival down through the years, and she reposted something from a couple of years ago. We've got to not have false images of God, church. It's the first commandment. Don't raise up false images of God. Don't believe the emotional lies of the devil when he tells you he's any different than what the Bible portrays him to be. He's a God of justice, but Jesus was the lightning rod that that took the full force of his judgment against you on him. Don't have a false image of God. His presence is always fully positive, and he's always the most optimistic person in the room, and your picture is on his refrigerator. Don't forget that. Brenda put it this way. I think my heart is broken. When I drive around, I pray for revival. I can see it. It is sweet, pure, real, powerful. Don't ever settle. Be a fool for God. Revival that is stressful and full of human striving is not revival. Don't be deceived or sidetracked. Revival is alive and full of what? She didn't get that from me. She got that from Jesus. Embrace his goodness. It is easy, full of joy. Well, good quote, Brenda. Thank you for that. The Welsh revival was marked by joy because the person God used to start it, Evan Roberts, was marked by joy. He even would be caught laughing in the streets and people think he was crazy. He didn't care. We sang this morning, your love amazes me. Let that be the song in our heart through, the, through our weeks and days. In my 20-minute introduction, the second essential feature of biblical revival is a profoundly deep work of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2, as we continue, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing... And now he shares a sevenfold work of God. Every one of these seven things that are part and parcel of the work of God are essential to biblical revival. And just like in the picture puzzle that I showed you earlier, one time after a certain family member I won't mention his name, was visiting. One of the pieces was missing. Page 
was missing. And we searched high and low. And Brenda finally found where David had hidden it. <laughs> and it was complete once again. But these, this sevenfold work of God, every piece must be there, church. Uh, we, all, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Make mention of your prayers, our prayers in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Listen, it's your work, but it's first and foremost God's work of faith. Who is the author and finisher of your faith? But then the call in that same verse is to fix your eyes on Jesus, which is your work of faith. But Jesus is the author of your faith. He's also the finisher of it. So get with the program and keep your eyes on Jesus. Labor of love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by you. No, by the, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Get with the program and start to love. Labor at it. Work at it. Work at your faith. Labor at the love because God's already doing it in you. Patience of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing it. May you abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God. This is something he's doing. Don't miss out. Get with the program. Get in line with what the Spirit is stirring you in your hearts to do. Don't fight it. Jump in and let the river take you downstream. Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. It's all in his presence and he's stirring it. Knowing, beloved brother, your election. Now, is your election something you're doing? I don't know how you could elect yourself. I just, am, I just live in constant gratitude. I'm chosen. I'm elected. And everywhere elections mentioned in the Bible, it's, it's linked to exuberant joy. So if you don't have joy related to your chosenness, get with the program and start getting happy about it. Get with the program. Turn to the person next to you and say, get with the program. God's got a good program. That's good. You're doing good. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. You can't make the power of God hit you, but God can. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Look at me. God is assuring you of the reality of his love, your born againness, your regeneration, the certainty of your childhood in him. You're a dearly loved son, a dearly loved daughter. He's stirring you in your heart. Say, Abba, Father, stop fighting it. Get with the program. Get with the program, okay? I got some good news for you. It's true. Stop fighting it. Stop trying to swim upstream. Relax and enjoy the trip. Sevenfold work. God's doing all of it. But it behooves us. It's incumbent upon us to not fight it. 
I love this quote from St. Augustine. If your good merits are God's gifts, God does not crown your merits as your merits, but he crowns your merits as his own gifts. And, and uh, in the Latin that he wrote in it, it's, it's graces. If your, if your good merits are God's graces, which I just trying to, I'm trying to say that to you just now, everybody, if you hadn't noticed. God does not crown your merits. He doesn't say way to go for what you've done. He says to you, he looks you in the eye, my friends, and he grabs you by the shoulders, and he looks you in the eye, and the judge of all the earth has kindness in his eyes as he's holding your shoulders and looking at you, and he's saying, way to go. I'm giving you all these gifts, and I'm giving you credit for them. I'm proud of you. They're not your merits. They're gifts I'm giving you, and you're getting with the program. My friends, do you know that down through the ages, there have been revival leaders that have not embraced these seven things, and they've, they've disabled the, the revival? Bonnie Frisbee disabled the revival somewhat of the Jesus movement. And uh, Todd Bentley, he disabled the healing revival of 2008. And there's been different, and I'm not here to condemn them. Not at all. I'm just saying they didn't have to happen. And in revival, we've got to fully embrace the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. This sevenfold thing is really a serious thing. The enemy wants to pull the rug out from under these seven things. But you and I, we've, we've got to realize God is stirring us and doing these things. He's, 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 he's moving us into these beautiful virtues. But we've got to get with the program. Don't fight it. My 20 minutes is up here. And we're going to go on to... Uh, Uh, I want to say one more thing about faith. As you, when you pray for revival, are you including yourself? I hope you are. But there's one very important element when you pray for revival for yourself and for your city, for your church, your family. You pray in faith. And your faith is expressed you, you can't make your family, you can't make your family have revival. You can't make your church have revival or your city have revival. But you know what you can do? You can make yourself have revival. You take a hold of that by faith and say, if no one else is going to have revival, I'm going to have one by myself. Jesus didn't say, Intercede for yourself until God sovereignly hits you with revival. Didn't say that. He said, whatever you pray in faith believing, you will receive. Whatever you pray in faith believing, you will receive. And if you're praying for revival, God bless you, so am I. But when it comes to Daniel Mickelson, I'm going ahead and have one. And I'm going to have it fully, whether you come along or not. I expect you can come along. 
Third essential feature of a biblical revival is contagious and an unstoppable impartation to other hungry hearts for God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit, much assurance, and as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. I love what John Wimber says. He says, I'm not so much interested in great men of God as, as I am interested in the great God of men. I love it that there is this chemistry, this synergism, Paul, Silas, Timothy. In the Jesus movement where I got saved, one of the early songs was, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. You want to sing. It's fresh like spring. You want to pass it on. And Paul and Silas and Timothy together had this fire that spread wherever it, wherever it went. Some small, some large, some like Lim, Limon, uh, Costa Rica, like Marty talked about, her little, the little church there. And some massive, huge revival centers like Toronto or Brownsville or uh, the one in Kentucky with, with those, at the, at, uh, the uh, starts with an A, what is it? Asbury Revival, yeah. You became followers of us. Your fire was lit, and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, you became examples to all of Macedonia. It spread everywhere, Washington and Oregon. For from you, the word of God has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. And we're still hearing about it in southern Oregon. 2,000 years later. Your faith for God has gone out. We don't need to say anything about it. Calvary Chapel st- started by Lonnie, Chuck, Greg, three, Paul, Silas, Timothy. Quickly, there were 80,000 Jesus people on fire from that one church. And it spread globally. Even hit Battleground, Washington, Saved me. Asbury College, one preacher, one student. Two sparks spread to other colleges and around the world at this point. John Wesley, three sparks. John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, three sparks. D.L. Moody, great spark. He put it this way, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I'm going to be that man. Jonathan, uh, John Wesley put it this way, rewind to that. I'm only one man, I cannot do everything, but I am one man and I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. What I ought to do, by God's grace, I shall do. And now, what we've all been waiting for, my sermon. <laughs> Video of the Asbury Revival, just a short clip. 
Here's some fire, friends. Oh, that's Brownsville. What that last Some have called it a Christian revival or outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was pretty incredible to like see that. Even for those who experienced it, it's hard to define. Yeah, revival, outpouring, awakening. I've kind of joked with people. It's picking your adjective, um, however you want to describe it. Non-stop worship at a Protestant Christian college in the tiny town of Wilmore, Kentucky continued around the clock for two straight weeks. Drew crowds of people from around the country and world, and it was never planned to begin with. What happened here at Asbury University happened spontaneously, organically, but it did come out of regularly scheduled prayer. Three days a week, students gather right here in Hughes Auditorium for a chapel service. It was just a typical Wednesday, but this time... It didn't end. Um, and it's like, whoa, this is happening. Benjamin Black directs the gospel choir at Asbury University. We're not singing for anyone here. You know, we're singing for the Lord. They were leading music at the chapel service on the morning of February 8th and were finishing with a song. The next thing we knew was like... People just kept staying. And students who had left started coming back. And they would stay there for like six hours. You just wanted something more, that you just like had to be there. They sought God's mercy and found healing from different wounds. I feel like the biggest moment... Senior Kyla Rowell said she had been struggling with feelings of abandonment in some of her relationships. She was praying about that in the Hughes Chapel when a friend she had never shared it with before came over providing consoling words. You'd be like, hey... I feel like you're struggling with this, and I just want you to know, like, you are loved, and, like, we see you, and, like, God has not abandoned you in this. Praying for one another and raising their voices to God. It was really strange to be in an environment where everybody was talking to him all at once, but at the same time, in that moment, I still felt like it was just me and him talking. I could just, like, feel, like, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and there was just, like, no part of me wanted to leave. What began to unfold was captured on social media, gathered more attention, inspired similar events around the country, and continued bringing people to Wilmore. This town was insane for the past two weeks. And even though the campus was returned to normal a week ago, people are still showing up. This group of friends from Las Vegas and Los Angeles flew to Kentucky for the day. Even though you showed up and there's no revival still happening, you're not disappointed. No, I'm not disappointed. At least I, I saw in my eyes the, the real place where it happened. My life will never be the same from this experience. For those who were inside Hughes Auditorium, the experience was authentic. I felt like the Lord uh, was giving me a lot of consolations. Including for Catholic priest Father Norman Fisher, who went to check Wait, it out after Mass it. one day. And as I got off out of my car... Okay, so that's just a sample. Do you find that? I'd be a bit of a spark. And here's, let's rewind 25 years to the uh, Pensacola Brownsville revival. Two minutes. Let's stand up and watch this just so you know that we're done. Notice it. It's a different jigsaw puzzle picture, but with the same element, elements, as as the including fire. For this song, you run to the Lord for mercy. He will not turn you down tonight. You run to the Lord. Don't look around. Don't wait. Don't let the devil sit on your lap. Hop 
Sang that song every night of the revival. 200,000 people came to Christ, and many more, hundreds of thousands, committed their lives to Christ. Teenagers sang that song every night for what, two, three, four years? It's a bad video content, but listen, feel the spirit. That's what I want you to experience. Here's the bottom line. Hear the voice of the Spirit. See the qualities that make that are anchor points for solidity, integrity, authenticity. Don't let us have a disabled revival. Let us have a full-blown Billy Graham type revival. He, 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 there was never any possible accusation against him that would be a disability to the revival. Let's be solid in the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. And let's hear the stirring to run to the mercy seat because when you run to the mercy seat, you get mercy. Now, I'm not calling anybody to run up here right now, I'm, but, I am, but there are people here today that need to run to the mercy seat. I'm not calling you to run to the mercy seat like it's up here. There's a mercy seat and his name is Jesus. I appeal to you to run to him and don't ever run to anything else. Please, I appeal to you to run to him and don't run to anything else. You will find mercy and he's the only place you will find mercy. If you want prayer for something, our pastoral care team will be up on the right side. Marty's prophetic ministry, words of encouragement will be on this side. God bless you. Run to the mercy seat. Amen.